Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. As we see the signs of the times all over the world, we now get into the book of Revelation chapter 18 and we will continue to understand the goings-on of what's happening in our world in studying Babylon. We've studied Babylon in chapter 17, and I took some time to break it out and help you understand that you're dealing with, in chapter 17, of ecclesiastical Babylon or religious Babylon. Now we're going to go through chapter 8, and I'm going to show you the other two legs of the stool. There's a three-legged stool, so to speak, of Babylon. The economic and the political aspect of Babylon in chapter 18. And so when you think of Babylon, you want to think of it as a three-legged stool. Religious, economic, political. And what we have to do to understand Babylon, we have to get outside of ourselves and see a big picture that's going on around us in the world. Because it's a global phenomenon that's going on. And then we can bring it home to understand how it's affecting us at home. To understand Babylon, you have to understand that the system of Babylon is Satan's counterfeit of the church, so to speak. God used Israel and will use her again in the future, and God is using the church as his vehicle for dispensing the truth out and getting people saved and whatnot and being the salt and light in the societies around the world. Well, Satan is using his vehicle, Babylon, to construct a global infusion of evil into every aspect of our lives. And so if you think of that in those terms, it's his system. And the system is alive and well. And what we are seeing now is Babylon is increasing. The people who have the Babylonian mindset are increasing. They're coming under the sway of what the devil is trying to do. And we understand we're in the last days. So we expect all this to happen. But we didn't expect it to happen this fast. Things are happening at a rate that we have never seen before. And so, again, this all goes to what Jesus warned about, that it would be like birth pains. That as the time grows near, the the pains would get increasingly more intense, and uh, it would become more frequent, and we're starting to see this. Now, here's what I want you to focus in on. The two legs we will focus in on for the next few sermons are the political aspects of Babylon and the economic aspects of Babylon, how this affects things. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to put this warning out there that if the Lord should ever lead you to move out of California and you go somewhere else or you got to move out of town or you got to move back east or something like that, just remember, if you go to a church... And they're not talking about the three legs of Babylon at some point in time, whether it's false doctrine or the religious aspect of Babylon. They're not talking politics, and they're not talking economics. That's a red flag. A lot of churches have been silenced thinking, well, they don't want to get too political because they're going to lose their tax-exempt status. That's baloney. They're nothing but cowards. That's all they are. They won't tell you the truth of what's happening. Because how do you ignore politics and economics, the other two legs of Babylon, and just pretend like nothing's happening around you? 
And it is. So I put that out there to understand this affects all of us. It's happening around you, and I'll show you how. But first, you have to understand the background of this. Where does political economic Babylon come from? Well, we obviously see that it comes from when the Tower of Babel was built back with Nimrod. He not only created a one-world religion, he created a one-world government, politics and economics. All three legs were there, and obviously that wasn't God's timing, and he scattered that. And we looked at that, so we're not going to go back to that. But right now, that same system is with us, and it is increasing. I want you to think from just for a second for economics. What's happening economically? Let's just put this out there. The Bible supports a free market system. We would term that as capitalism. Not unbridled capitalism, capitalism with morality. But nonetheless, the free market system of capitalism is the closest to the biblical ideal. Guess what's under attack? Capitalism. Do not ignore the attack on the free market system by people who want to usher in socialism, communism, progressivism, leftism, all these isms, and even forms of uh, Marxism infused with capitalism, that is Babylonian. Because the basis of those economic systems that come from Babylon are based on covetousness and stealing. In any false economic system, you must steal in that system. Whether you do it through taxation or you just flat out seize people's property. And take what they have. That's what Babylon does. In terms of politics, what do we see? We're seeing an ever-increasing postmodern nihilism in our politics and in the media, because I think they're complicit as well. Well, what do you mean by this nihilism? Understand what postmodern is meant to do. Postmodernism is meant to attack absolute truth. It's meant to say that truth is relative and therefore can deconstruct everything in our society. Have you noticed a deconstruction in the American society? Everything that we once held to has now been questioned and deconstructed. Whether that's sex, the proper venue for that, whether that's gender and how God says they're male and female, that's been challenged. And it creates a nihilism, which just kind of just everything just deconstructs, and there's nothing that has any meaning in life. And then you have these warring factions going on in our country. I mean, it's gotten so bad. I saw a story this, this last week where, now get this, follow me, this is weird. Feminists were mad at transgender men trying to be females and the feminists were saying you can't be a female because you're a male and i'm thinking this is the lunacy or the nihilism that these thought patterns get you you have radical feminists telling the transgender he can't be a female and they're warring together and it's just totally deconstructing our society to think like that. that. That's insane to think like in those terms, right? Okay, what does nihilism get us? When everything deconstructs, everything breaks down, 
you get totalitarianism. You get a dictator. Where this is heading, guys, not only in America, but around the world, when you deconstruct values and you break everything down, you have anarchy. You have just lawlessness. Hence, the people will beg for a totalitarian regime and a dictator to take control of the whole thing. Hence, the Antichrist is being set up by postmodernism or nihilism or what our politics are doing today. Scary, but that's where it's heading. Let's unpack a few things in the first few verses of this chapter in chapter 18 and chapter 18 is going to do some background and it's going to do some uh, futuristic predictions about what happens to babylon but anyway let's start in verse 1 of chapter 18 and this is looking at the destruction of babylon the first thing is this after these things i saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority this is the authority from god on behalf of god right and the earth was illuminated with his glory. This is a derived glory coming from God. So this angel then is going to execute the judgment and the fallenness of Babylon in the tribulation. So it's all future and it's projecting us into the future and saying this is the end game for it. This is where it ends here. So in verse 2 it says, And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen. And notice it's a, a double reference. Fallen is mentioned twice. The idea is that God is removing the satanic system of religious Babylon and commercial Babylon. Economic, political. And so that's why the term fallen is used twice. Okay. But this Babylon is a real place. This is not a metaphor. Now, right now, you don't see Babylon. She's systemic in people's governments, in the economy, in academia, and she's there. And she's working through the churches. She's working, she's hard to locate her. But eventually, what the scriptures are saying is that she's going to become locatable. She's going to be centralized in a physical location, just like she was with Nimrod back in Genesis. And so with that understanding, then we have to jump to Zechariah chapter 5 and understand the prediction that Zechariah gives about her location of where she's going to be. Understand that this will be the Antichrist's headquarters. That's hard to imagine. That it won't be in New York, it won't be in London, it won't be somewhere in Brussels, it won't be in Rome, it'll be in Babylon. And what are we talking about? Babylon is what? In Iraq. That's where the Antichrist will set up his headquarters? Yes, that's where physically where he will set it up because God's bringing it back to where it began. If you turn to Zechariah 5, you can read this with me. Then the angel who talked with me came and said to me, lift up your eyes now, or lift your eyes now, and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it is a basket that is going forth. The idea of a basket is an ephah. The idea of, of the ephah or the basket is a symbol for economy. It's a symbol for economy. He also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. In verse 7, he says, here is a lead disc lifted up. Now, as you can see the lead disc on the ephah or the basket, the lead represents 
false measures. Now, the way they did their economy back in the ancient days is you would have weights on one side, and maybe you'd measure out your wheat on the other side, and you have scales. And you would have to make sure in their economy that the weights and measures were right when you measured out your grain, or if you bought salt or whatever, you would measure it out in those weights. The idea of a lead lid has to do with that it's an economy, but it's a false economy. It's a bad economy. It's wrong. It's not based on biblical values. Hence, anything that doesn't get close to a free market economy is an economy coming from Babylon. Communism, Marxism, socialism, you name it, that's where it comes from. That's where it derives from. And it's all based on stealing and covetousness. Okay, so this lead disc is lifted up and it's on it. And then it says, to go back there, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. So the idea is, here's the, the economic political system with the false measures. And then the woman is traced to the woman in Revelation 13. She's the harlot. She is the whore of Babylon, which represents the false religious system that Satan has created. So notice all of it is encapsulated into one. The whole Babylonian system is pictured with an ephah or a basket with a lead lid on it with a woman inside, which is wickedness, okay? So you got that. Religious and commercial Babylon all together. Okay, now follow me. It continues on. Zechariah goes on, verse 9. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Now that takes a little explaining to do. These are not angels. All angels are male. There are no female angels. So what happens here, this is a metaphor, this is a picture of two agents. And these agents obviously are helping her. I have looked, guys, through tons of commentaries. I have studied this ad infinitum. I can't identify who the agents are. But I think it goes something like this, and I'll explain this. The agents are two entities that help religious and commercial Babylon get situated into the Middle East. And the best guess I can come up with, and a lot of prophecy guys come up with, is that these two agents will be known in that generation. That the tribulation generation that sees this, they will see who the two agents are. From our perspective, we don't know who the two agents are. Now, in looking at the two agents and what's described, notice that they're two women. They're not angels, so they're not good. These are bad. They represent wickedness, okay, because they support her. And notice they have the wings of a stork. The wings of a stork symbolize an unclean bird. That's one of the birds you could not eat under kosher law. So anytime you see the wings of a stork, it's an unclean animal which represents evil. Okay? But the other thing is you have to understand the Hebrew mindset of the stork to get the picture. A stork's name in Hebrew is very close to hesed. That's what we say about God, that he's chesed, loving kindness. That's how we describe God in the Old Testament. 
that he is his loving kindness. The same Hebrew word is used for a stork. You think, well, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. Because if you watch a stork, and this is why I think the Hebrews put the name on the animal, is a stork will do everything for her babies. She will care for them, nurture them. And then the interesting thing about storks, they reciprocate this back to their parents. When the stork parents get older, the younger storks take care of them, and actually storks actually help them fly, the older parents, as they're going. So they have a reciprocating relationship. They will sit there, and if, if fire is going on them, that stork will stay there and protect her young. And she will burn up in that fire with them. And then when they're old, the young takes care of the older parents, sometimes actually aiding them as they fly. The Hebrews caught this, and they said, that's like God. That's like his hesed. And anyway, that got put on to the idea of a stork. The baby thing that associate with babies, that's pagan. That's just all pagan, because... In the summer solstice, just as an aside, if you ever go on Jeopardy, this is why babies are associated with storks. In pagan mythology, they had the summer solstice in June, and it was a fertility cult, obviously, and that's when they, were, they have a lot of sex. And if you do the math, nine months from there is you start getting to March and April when you start having babies if you conceived in June, right? Well, the storks migrated up north into you know, Europe and all these other places, in March and April. And so when, when these people had sex in June and they started having babies in March and April and they, they saw the storks flying, they attached it to the coming of the storks. And hence, that's why you see a stork carrying a baby all that way. So if you're on Jeopardy, that's what you can use. It's a pagan myth. But nonetheless, why do they have stork wings? What God is trying to say is these evil agents are caring for her. They have a vested interest in her, and they're going to make sure she gets to where she's going. Notice that she's suspended above heaven and earth. She's not touching the earth, and she's not in heaven, but she's suspended. That means there's going to be a time where she has no place, and she's going to be suspended, and these two agents will take her to a location to prepare a location for her. So right now, Babylon, the system of Babylon, is infused into other systems. That's why it's hard to see her. She's in academia. She's in politics. She's in entertainment industry. And she's in the churches. She's in false religions. She's systemic. But what's going to happen in the future is she's going to get codified in a physical location. You can identify where she's at with all three aspects. Let's continue on. And it says this in Zechariah. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Shinar, when it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. Shinar. That's where they're taking her. Do you know where Shinar is at? Babylonia, Iraq, right there. So on this map, as you can see in the yellow dot, this is the, the nation of Iraq, obviously, and you can see the, the Tigris and the Euphrates coming down. But here is where she will be built. This is where she's going to be physically located there. 
Now you think, that's crazy, what? It's not New York, it's not the UN, it's not Belgium, it's not Brussels, it's not Rome, it's not Mecca, Medina, no. She's going back where she started. God is putting them there for a reason. I'll show you that later on. But just a couple of pictures so you can see kind of the, this is where the ruins of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was, and this is in the, you know, five, six hundreds B.C., but this is where Babylon was located. And then you have a tower ziggurat right there. She's going to be located. This is the rebuilding of Nebuchadnezzar's palace. And they tried to rebuild it. And, but this is what this location looks like. This is where, again, just picture this. The Antichrist will have his headquarters at this location. And I know it's hard to understand. You're thinking, there's nothing there. I mean, we've got Nebuchadnezzar's palace there. But I don't see how how this could be the center of the world. Well, think about this. This takes an an amount of faith, but here's the deal. You and I are witnessing Israel back in the land after 1948, and we think, wow, that's a fulfillment of prophecy. That's great. It doesn't take a lot of faith to believe that, that God moved Israel and became a nation. But if you and I lived in the 1800s, boy, it took an incredible amount of faith to even believe that Israel would be back in the land. In fact, most theologians spiritualized the whole thing. What I'm saying is the precedent has been set already with Israel. If God can bring Israel back and become a nation, he can bring evil Babylon back and they could create a kingdom for the Antichrist that easy because God will allow it to happen. You look at a city like something like Dubai. If you ever look pictures at Dubai, it's incredible. But oil money can build quick. And when you have endless amounts of money and you sit on oceans of oil, the sky's the limit. It totally makes sense why the Antichrist would build his headquarters over an ocean of oil. I get it. Interesting enough, this is the Ishtar Gate of Babylon. And this is actually in the British Museum. When you go to Britain, there it is. The Ishtar Gate. Yeah, it's the name for Easter. That's where we get the word Ishtar. It comes from the Ishtar Gate. I want to show you this. This is interesting. This is the UN building. They actually modeled it in building it off the Tower of Babel. Notice its construction. That looks like it's half built. That's completed, by the way. That's completed construction. And they did this because... The mindset of the world is we want to rebuild Babylon. We want to get back to one language, one, one people, one group. Isn't that amazing? They're following the line of exactly what the Bible predicts they're going to do and starting to put it in their actual architecture. It's insane. Look at this propaganda, I call it, of the European Union. It says, if you can't say, Europe, many tongues, one voice. And then you have the stars, which they actually stole out of the book of Revelation and misused it. But nonetheless, you can see these pictures of these block people. I find that very interesting because Babylon was made out of blocks and bricks, squares. And they they picture these people. It's like they don't even know what they're doing. You would think as a Bible student, can't you guys see this? You actually want to copy Babylon? You want to do that? Because that was a bad thing. And they think it's a good thing. Isn't that crazy? Anyway... So the point is, it's going back there. But go back to Revelation now. We're back in chapter 18. And look what John 
is told happens to this location and has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Now, here's what we we find out from Babylon. When it is destroyed in the tribulation, it becomes uninhabitable by regular human beings or animals or whatnot. But notice what this text says. Who is there, though, after it's destroyed? Demons, foul spirits, cage for every unclean and hated bird. That's not a regular animal bird. It is a reference to demons. The whole thing is a reference to demons. So what's going to happen, and John is projecting at the end of it what happens to Babylon, is that there are two locations on planet Earth during the kingdom age that will have a perpetual burning of fire and brimstone at their locations. Let me show you on a map. Obviously, what you're seeing in this text, Babylon, and then this other one is Edom. This is where the Jews will be when Jesus rescues them. There are two locations in the future, in the kingdom age, that will have this perpetual burning of fire and brimstone because these will be reminders of where the demons are locked into. They are in prison there, right in that location, because during the kingdom, there's no demonic influence. There's no Satan. He's bound in the pit, and demons are stuck at these two locations and cannot tempt man. They're in so much a a spiritual prison, if you want to call it. And that's why John mentions this, that they're going to this prison eventually, because they're behind all of this, the demons and Satan. Go ahead to verse 3 then. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, the idea is that all the nations eventually will do a deal with her and cut a deal with her. And the idea of drinking the wine of the wrath of her fornication, they will accept what she's offering as she fornicates with them. The metaphor is this. Babylon gives the nation something in exchange for them accepting her values, her way of economy, her way of politics, her way of religion, so she gives them money and they commit fornication with her, which means they unite with her. Hence, eventually, the way every nation on this planet will go will be to unite with the Babylonian system. And do you know what's behind that Babylonian system? Globalism. One world currency. One world religion. One world economy. A cashless economy. And the reason all these governments of the world are going this way is she intoxicates them with money. She's extremely wealthy. The God of this world is in control of the system and gives the money to the people who obey her. Why do you think, for the most part, all through the last 2,000 years, Christians are primarily poor? Why is that? I asked my Sunday school class a, a week or so ago about this. How come there's no major Christians running any Fortune 500 company? Why are there not major Christians running major things in our society? 
Do you know why? Because at some point, because the Babylonian system is infused into our work world, you will hit a ceiling. You will eventually be called into compromise with the Babylonian system if you want to promote up. And she will get you to compromise in any form or fashion. But that's why a lot of Christians can only go so far because what is asked of them would basically be to give up their principles of Christianity in order to rise to that level. And so basically into every system is a ceiling. There's a ceiling. Oh, yes, there's a one or two handfuls, Hobby Lobby and In-N-Out Burger are controlled by Christians, but not too many. There are thousands upon thousands of major companies that there's no Christianity in, all, in any of them. Facebook, Twitter, there's no Google, there's no YouTube. There's no Christians there. They're, maybe they work there, but they're underground. They're not controlling things. Why? Because it's the devil's system. He only rewards his own. And he'll reward you if you compromise, but you've got to give everything up. You've got to give your Christian values. Let me bridge now to just a little bit of application. How deep is the Babylonian system of economics and politics hitting you and I personally? Well, it's in your economics, obviously, and some of, some of us feel the pinch of that. But one of the things that Babylonian system does is it goes after the weak. It doesn't go after the strong. It doesn't go after people who have their minds made up and they, they have figured out life and they're into adulthood and, and they're, 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 she doesn't go after them. She goes after the young to brainwash them before they reach adulthood so then she's got them into adulthood. I am very frightened, and you should be too, of the millennials and how they vote. They're eventually going to take offices. They're eventually going to start running our country. They're eventually going to start filling all the pulpits, too. And I can tell you what kind of pastors they are. They're the most dangerous pastors to ever be around. If I'm telling you that from a religious standpoint, how much more on the secular standpoint? Let me show you something real quick. Do we have all the teenagers in here? They're not in youth group, right? They're all the teenagers are in here, don't are they? Are all the junior hires in here? Yeah? Are you still playing on your phone, guys? Okay, get off your phone right now and pay attention to what I'm about to say. Okay? Quit playing Candy Crush or Fortnite or whatever you're playing right now. Teenagers, you're the target. It ain't targeting me. They know they can't convince me. She's going after you. So parents, grandparents, that's who she's aiming at. Now, teenagers, if you're in school, especially a public school or a charter school, or you're doing anything with the state of California, I want to show you the whore of Babylon and where she's at and what she's doing through your educational program. Let me show you something. I'm going to go rapidly, real quick through this, but anything triggers, I want you to pay attention to this. Bible-based versus social engineering, Babylonian indoctrination to kids. Creation. Bible-based, versus evolution. If you hear evolution being taught to you, a lot of these guys are not teaching it. They're teaching things that are 30 and 40 years old. They're not even up with their own stuff, by the way. But if evolution is being taught to you, that's the whore. Okay? 
Young earth versus old earth, progressive creation. So you even have churches that compromise and say, yeah, God did it in ages, not six days. Belief in absolutes versus relativism, tolerance, anti-Christian, pro-Islamic. Your schools are starting to become pro-Islamic and anti-Christian. Isn't that interesting? Life is from God, be fruitful and multiply, the Bible says. Their mode, abortion, population reduction, depopulation is their call. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Theirs is diversity of families, two men, two women, whatever. Abstinence until marriage. What the school systems promote? Sexual promiscuity. As long as you wear, uh, you know, a, a, a birth control or some type of thing, then you, they'll say it's okay. Do whatever you want to do. Biblical family structure. Different kinds of family structures under the Babylonian doctrine. Normal gender identity, man and woman. No, for them, diverse gender identity, acceptance, promotion of this nonsense, promotion of mental illness, basically, it's what it is. Biblical truth on theism, one biblical truth. Multiculturalism, integrate multi-ethnic and global uh, for all cultures and perspectives, which the idea is that you and I can't judge Islam because it's just a different culture. So when they throw homosexuals off a, off a building or they, they, a woman has less of a status and can't drive a car, you're not to make a judgment on that. How dare you? Or how dare you come upon a woman wearing a potato sack and can't see out of two slits out of the eye and say, that's religion. I find it amazing that the feminists won't say anything about Islam. Oh, yeah, kingdom's not divided. That's right. Private property, the Bible says. Promote individual responsibility. Well, we've got to change cultural assumptions, mold global citizens. Private property? No private property. Redistribution of wealth. Collective ownership of the planet. We all own the planet. Captain Planet is their call. National sovereignty. Patriotism for your country. No, for them it's globalism. Indoctrinating our children to accept citizenship in the future global village. Humans created in God's image is the biblical norm. Humans are superior and are to take dominion over animals. Environmentalism? Animals are superior. Humans are to blame for environmental problems. I find this interesting. Your teachers and professors will blame the bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef in Australia to global warming and warming of the oceans. It's a lie. The bleaching of the reef's been happening since the 1100s, for goodness sake, and that's as far back as we can measure. Why did they do that? Why did they give the hoax of global warming when they know there's no science? It's all a political issue behind it. They can't trace anything to carbon emissions. They can't. There's no link between carbon emissions and higher temperatures. By the way, use this one, kids. The greatest temperatures in the United States in the last hundred and something years are not occurring now. They occurred between 1933 and 1936, Dust Bowl. I want to see Al Gore blame the SUV for that one. Right? Remember he said he invented the internet, right? Salvation through Jesus only in the Bible. For them, religious pluralism, diversity of religious beliefs. Sexual moral standards upheld in the Bible. Homosexual lifestyle promoted. Death, help, or present with the Lord is your alternative at death. For them, reincarnation, born on the earth again. Individualism, we are created in God's image. For them, collectivism, individuals aren't important anymore. Local control versus federal and state control. This is why the school systems are in the mess they are. There's no local control. 
It's all controlled by the state or controlled by federal. The Bible's against that. Privacy versus data collection. Every time you're on the internet, every time you're on your phone, you're being tracked. Every time. Competition in the workplace. We, no, we don't want any competition because everyone gets a trophy for doing nothing. High standards in the Bible. Reduction of quality and standards. In fact, we just simply have quotas. You want to go to college? It's not based on merit anymore, whether you get straight A's and a high SAT. It's based on whether UCLA has a quota for Asian Americans, black Americans, uh, Chinese Americans, uh, American Indians. It's all quotas. It's all quotas. Teacher-led is the way things should be done in the Bible. But what's happening to the classrooms? They're turning our teachers into facilitators. They don't want them to teach. They want them to facilitate. Direct teaching from the Bible but they want group learning. You ever been in school and they always put the kids in groups? That's Babylon. That didn't come from the Bible. Hmm. Objective tests, repeat learned facts. Subjective tests, express your feelings. How do you feel about two plus two is four? Well, I don't feel so good about that. I think it's five. How would you like to try that when you're doing a heart operation? And say, well, you know, I'm a little off, you know, I'm going to cut this dude's chest. But if I'm off, you know, a couple inches, I'm all right. Is that how we work in society? Oh, my goodness, it's crazy to think like that. But yet, that's how our new math is. Developmentally age-appropriate in finding, you know, a job and whatnot. And for them, it's developmentally age-inappropriate. The idea is Babylon wants you to get into the trench of your job already without you figuring things out. They're trying to track you into a job. Pioneer spirit, work hard, build a home, farm. For them, social justice, redistribution of the wealth. Independent, self-reliant, self-worth. For them, dependent on government, no feeling of accomplishment, low self-worth. Just saw the stats on the federal government's budget. The overwhelming majority of the budget is for people who are dependent on the budget and the government beyond the military, beyond all these other things, it's entitlement programs. The majority of our federal budget is entitlement programs. I mean, for goodness sake, I want you to think about this, guys. If you go to a public school, everything's free, by the way. Someone's paying for it, but it's free. Over 51% of the California's budget is education. And look, our scores keep going down and down and down. They keep pouring more money into our educational system, and yet our kids come out weaker and weaker and lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And they keep just throwing more money into it. And you start looking at this, and you're like, I think I see what the problem is. I think I get it. They're dependent on the government. And then at, at some schools, a kid can get a breakfast, lunch, after-school dinner when they leave school. Where's the parents? Why do we have kids getting three? Well, they don't they have a bad background. I, I get that. But at some point, you, who's paying the bills on this? The entitlement program of education is so ballooned up, and yet we get nothing back from it. I don't get it. But Babylon does, because you, you graduate a bunch of kids who can't read. 80% of the kids coming out of high school are leftists. They vote left. Don't tell me the school doesn't have an effect on them. And yeah, I get it, it's the parents. But this is social engineering that's happening. And no one's seeing it. No one's dealing with it. 
Guess where all of this comes from? I didn't just pick this out of the air. This comes from common core. This is what they're teaching in the high schools and the elementary. I didn't make this up. This is what's infused in the curriculum. Your kid will be taught to be a global citizen who accepts multi-relationships, all kinds of junk. We're past the fact of history teaching facts. Now it's how do you feel about history? Downplays our founding fathers. Focuses on justice and oppression. It's hard to look at that. It makes me depressed. Oh, my goodness. Why do I do this? Whether you like it or not, it's happening. You can turn a blind eye to it all you want. But the school systems are doing it. The universities are doing it. The politics are doing it. The economics. Why would the majority of younger people want socialism? We used to teach kids that we were fighting communism. Remember that? The bad, the, the, the bad Russians, the bad Soviet Union, and that was in the Cold War, and we fought against that, and fought against communism, and now it's embraced. Babylon is taking over, guys. She's taking over. Let's go back to the text. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Now, notice this. The kings of the earth represent the politicians, and notice this, that they, they, the merchants are the business people, okay? The Fortune 500, Google, Facebook, all those. So there's two people benefiting. Notice the two, the two legs. Politics, economics. You see the two legs there? That's her two arms in, that, in this system. They become rich, and this is why they do a deal with her, because they become rich in the abundance of her luxury. Super rich. I mean billionaires. Billionaires overnight, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Now, just a little background about, wait, wait a second. Why is God calling his people, and in context, this is the Jews, out of Babylon before he destroys her? We'll see this next week when he destroys her. Something has happened. Well, let me fill this in a little bit. What happens is this. When the Antichrist it begins the tribulation, he cuts a deal with Israel, and he's hunky-dory, he's their friend, he's their buddy, he's their pal with Israel. Okay? At three and a half years, he breaks the covenant with Israel and then goes on the rampage to destroy every living Jew on the planet. Okay? So he goes on a rampage. He sets his armies in the Valley of Jezreel, preparing for the campaign of Armageddon, and then he attacks Jerusalem. Once he attacks Jerusalem, obviously who's there are Jews. He takes those Jews that stayed in Jerusalem, and he takes them captive, and he takes them to Babylon and enslaves them. He makes the Jews slaves. It's just like Hitler did. He enslaved them. He's not only going to kill them, he enslaves them. So what happens here is before God destroys Babylon... He calls the Jews, and somehow he makes a way for them to escape, and they all run out, and he tells them to go to Israel and, go to, and tell the other Jews what's happening. That's peppered all through the Old Testament and other passages that it takes too long for me to unpack. But in a nutshell, that's what happens. He gives his own people a chance to escape and get out of there before the place goes down. It's a repeat of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Before Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed, what did he do? He removed Lot and his family. Get out before I destroy it. And that's what he does to Babylon. And again, it's with the Jews. Now, we're going to continue on next week and get deeper and deeper into this. But we've got to do some application to wrap things up for today. I think the application you can take from this then is this. What he tells the Jews in the future, I think he's still telling us today. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and receive her plagues. Now, we're not going to receive the plagues of the tribulation, but you still can receive the problems of getting hooked up with the whore of Babylon and this system. What do you mean? Let me show you some other passages that are more apropos for those of us in the church who won't be here for that period of time, but it's still the same principle. Let me show you this in 1 Timothy 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. What? That's all I need to be content? Yeah. But I don't need the bigger house? No. You don't, I don't need the better car? No. I don't need the better vacation? No. If you have food and clothing, you ought to be content, he's saying. Oh, oh. What about the American dream? Keep reading. But those who desire to be rich, did you catch the phrase? It's not wrong to be rich. It's those who desire to be rich. What do they do? Fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Basically destroys them. For what? Not money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some Christians, believers, have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Remember, how does she con the politicians and the big businessmen? Through money. And the way she does that with them in the future and now is the same thing she does to us. She is conning us with money. Now, you say, well, is it wrong to make money? No, it's not wrong to make money. You have to provide. But what is the, the, the desire? It's the desire to be rich. That's what gets people. That's what gets Christians. So the desire to be rich is different than providing for my family. That's different from me using the skill set that God gave me and to be the best whatever I need to be. Maybe, maybe God gave me the skill set to dig holes. Well, my job is to be the best hole digger I could possibly be. And regardless of what kind of money that makes, it is what it is. But at least I'm doing what God has called me to do. It, see, that's not dependent on money, per se, of of a desire to be rich. It's a desire to please God with the gifts I've been given. But when you go for, I'm going to go for the job that pays the most, you're going to leave behind your skill set. You're going to leave behind your calling. You're going to leave behind what God's vocation is for you so you can go after the almighty dollar. Good luck. Paul just said you're going to be destroyed. As believers, did we see this? The other guys abandon the apostle Paul on the mission field because of money? Yes, we did. Look what he said. 
This is in 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, he names the dude. How would you like to be named in the scripture? Has forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world. Oh, he just named names. He said, this old dude that was with me on, 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 in ministry, he abandoned me because he likes money. Ooh. Look at this other warning. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, and when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may what? Spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world, the Babylonian system, is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think the scripture says in vain that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? The point he's trying to make and that these passages are making is this. It is very, very possible for a believer to jettison what God has called them to do and go on a path to make more money. And once you do that, you will abandon what you're called to do. This guy abandoned Paul. You will abandon ministry, what you're supposed to be doing in your, your own personal ministry. And then you become in a state where you're an enemy with God. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It means you're in a state in opposition to God. You're on the Babylonian ticket. And have Christians done that? Yeah, they did it in the past, and they're doing it now. Why do you think the Laodicean church is the characterization of the church in the last days? Laodicean is extremely wealthy, but they're blind. They can't see what they're doing because they're chasing the almighty dollar. And because of that, they've become lukewarm or, in essence, useless. What do I do about this? Well, understand it's there. Understand the temptation is there for all of us. Everyone is, is, it stands at our door and it's knocking and saying, will you take me? Now, here's how it's going to come. It's not going to come with the Babylonian system saying, hey, man, reject Christ and I'll give you some money. It's not like that. Mm -mm. It's more subtle. She makes you think that you can have anything you want as long as you're willing to pay the price. Okay, what do you mean? She's basically making a deal with you and saying, look, if you'll compromise on just this little bit of your Christianity, you can have it. I'll give it to you. You want that promotion at work? Yeah, yeah. I, boy, it would be nice to have a little extra cash here in my back pocket. Okay. I want you to work 80 hours. Wow, that's a lot of time, man. I'm going to be away from my family, but yet I'd be able to buy a pool. I'd be able to go on a nice Fiji vacation if I worked those 80 hours. Yeah. But you're not going to be at home. Well, i got this great deal for you, man. You can make a lot of money here. Yeah. It'd only be for six months. It'd only be for a month. Yeah. Okay. But you're not at home anymore with your kids. You see how subtle she could be? It's not me doing it. It's her. And she cons you into thinking, oh, man, money. See, money is intoxicating to people, intoxicating to you and I. 
And it would be something that subtle. And then eventually, once she gets you there, it's like, well, look, they owe it to you, dude. All the years you put in at this company, they owe it to you. So it's okay. Cut a little corner here. Cut a little corner there. Take for yourself some stuff home with you. They won't know. Take some money home with you. They owe it to you anyway and all the overtime you've given them, right? And before you know it, you're embezzling and you don't even know it. You think you're being owed it. And see, it starts working like that. And before you know it, you're there and you're saying, look, I'm doing this for my kids. And she, that's what she's going to say. Well, don't you want your kids to go to a good college? Well, it takes money. So do a deal with me. I'll guarantee the kids will go to college. Just do a deal with me. And you're stuck between your own kids and her and thinking, and then Jesus is there. Well, I wouldn't be outright sinning now, you know. It's only for six months. It's, 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 and boy, we could have that car that we need. And boy, and then what will happen is this. Follow me. Everything will work out. Once you decide to take the bait, everything works out. And you'll say, this must be a God thing. Everything just opened up. And right, did Jonah have enough money to pay the fare? Did Jonah have a ship going in the right direction? Did Jonah, as he was moving, did he fall asleep because he was so comfortable in that decision to run from God? You better believe it. The devil makes you think because it's easy, that must be God's in it. It's the opposite. When God calls you to do it, you will get opposition, hindrances, everything trying to stop you from doing it. And if you just push through and have faith, you'll get to the other side. But when it's real easy, it's the whore. And she's beckoning you. I read about a family in New York, poor eking their way through life. The dad was a steam fitter on the docks, and, and his son was a, a guy who, who drove a, a forklift, and the other son was going through night school. Times are tough. This is a real story that happened in New York. And that thing of just not having money, just barely being able to meet ends, and, and, and it just really got to them. So you know what they started doing? They started playing the lottery. The lottery is nothing but a tax on poor people. I hope you understand that. That's all it is. It's another state tax. Anyway, Pop was poor. He didn't have any money. He wanted to send his kids to college. Couldn't do it because they don't have any money. So Pop starts playing the lottery. And Pop wins. He struck it rich. He won millions. And they thought, that's it. God's answered our prayer. Everything will be wonderful. He said, boys, you don't have to work on the docks anymore. You don't have to work with, with, that, uh, uh, with going to night school or anything. You can now do whatever you want to do. I got the money, and I'm going to divide it up among you, and you guys figure out what you want to do. Huh. Sounds too good to be true. Well, two years into this thing, the money wasn't necessarily gone, but things were definitely bent what do you mean? Well, the boys weren't speaking to Pop anymore. And they weren't speaking to each other anymore. Johnny, one of the boys, was chasing expensive racehorses. 
And Tim, the other son, was chasing expensive women. Mom was accusing Pop of holding out on the money, not giving her all the money that he had won. So they were squabbling. And within two years, they were all in court for not paying their income taxes. Both boys were really working hard to become nice alcoholic addicts. And all these people had hoped for was money. They had their prayers answered, but it destroyed them. I like what Groucho Marx said. While money can't buy happiness, it certainly lets you choose your own form of misery. I think he was right. Someone said this, what money can buy. Money can buy a bed, but it can't buy sleep. Money can buy knowledge, but not wisdom. Money can buy a computer, but not a brain. Money can buy food, but not an appetite. Money can buy the finer things of life, but not real beauty. Money can buy a house, but not a home. Money can buy you quiet, but not peace. Money can buy you medicine, but it can't buy your health. Money can buy luxuries, but not class. Money can buy amusement and fun, but not happiness. Money can buy you servants, but not faithfulness and loyalty. Money can buy you acquaintances, but not friends. Money can buy sex, but not love. And money can buy you religion, but never salvation. The whore is at all of our doors. And she is saying, will you cut a deal with me? I will give you the world. Your master's voice should enter your mind at this point in time. And what did our master say? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.